Welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Support for the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the absolute best in supporting your men's grooming needs. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools and they obsess over their technology developments and are trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, Manscaped is offering 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code BPB at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, which includes their third generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, which includes a ceramic blade to reduce any grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Uh, it has a built in LED light for uh, nighttime or dark area trimming. Um, it's also waterproof for your use in water. Uh, the package came with the toner. This stuff smells incredible. As well as the anti-chafing deodorant. It'll, you can put all those items in this nice uh, travel bag it came in. So really cool stuff from Manscaped. It also included a pair of boxers. and They're really comfy. So uh, get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code BPB when you visit manscaped.com. It's 20% off free shipping manscaped.com use the code bpb uh otherwise to support the channel click in the uh, description box below there's a link for our patreon consider subscribing to patreon um if you're interested in getting some more glenn karen glasses only 12 left we've got a couple a couple orders of those recently so we're running low on those uh or the coins bourbon or irish whiskey if you're interested send me an email at barrelproofbaseball at yahoo.com there's also a link to the amazon store um, anything from that store that goes, that gets sold, um, I get a portion of that, which will, uh, help fund the podcast. So consider checking some of those things out. You're going to find barware goodies and, uh, books, uh, as well as, uh, some coffee things. Cause I like coffee. Uh, today's show, we're joined by Mike Palladini and Danny Polisi. Mike and Danny are the founders of Penelope Bourbon. Uh, Penelope Bourbon is out of New Jersey. Uh, they're actually about an hour, half an hour from uh, where my father's from. So it's cool having a conversation with those guys. Uh, they make really good bourbon. They've done a really good job. This I think this brand is going to really take off. Um, they have a very unique bottle in a rosé finished bourbon, which I've never heard of before. And um, Mike promised me a sample of that when the next batch comes out, and I'm definitely holding him to that. Uh, but I really enjoyed this conversation with Mike and Danny. Their story is incredible. Um, it's just against two guys that were entrepreneurs already. And they, uh, you know, bourbon enthusiasts. And so they took the plunge and started their own brand. So uh, it's really cool. I wish these guys the best of luck. And I, and I know people are going to continue supporting them because they're putting out a really good product. And the fact is they're, uh, they're definitely ingrained in what they're doing with their product. So um, wish them nothing but the best and can't wait to follow along with their success. So uh, check this out. Check them out at PenelopeBourbon.com. You can buy directly from their site um, and I think get shipped to some states or most or whatever, but check them out if you're interested because they have a great product. So enjoy today's episode with Mike Palladini and Danny Polisi from Penelope Bourbon. Welcome back to another Barrel Proof Baseball podcast. I'm joined here today by Michael Palladini and Danny Polisi from Penelope Bourbon. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. Good to be here. Hey, Thank thanks you. Thanks for having us. So 
talk to me a little bit about um, just kind of the beginning of, well, first, before we talk about the bourbon, tell me a little bit about yourselves. I mean, I know you guys were friends kind of growing up in New Jersey, correct? Yep. So tell me a little yeah, bit no, about yourselves outside of bourbon. Danny and I, you know, we're both from Basking Ridge, uh, New Jersey, which is kind of the central western part of the state. And uh, we, you know, we grew up literally right next door to each other, went to the same high school. We still have all the same mutual friends from high school. And uh, we both happened to just really be into bourbon. I mean, we were both kind of bourbon, you know, we, out of all of our friends, a lot of our friends, uh, you know, they, now a lot of our friends are into White Claw. <laughs> but Danny and I, we kind of stayed true. We always kind of had a thing for bourbon and uh, you know, how it kind of all started was when, you know, when my, you know, my wife and I were trying to have kids for a while. And uh, we, we always said, if we had a girl, we wanted to name her Penelope. And when we had found out after a while, it was, I kind of like a light bulb went off and I was like, heck, Danny got this idea. Let's call this, let's call the bourbon Penelope bourbon. And, you know, it was different. And, and I think we, he, he was, he was kind of on board and we kind of just jumped head first into it. Yeah. I mean, when I got that call, I was like, I was all about it. I love new things. I love jumping into anything, you know, that's exciting. And especially like just creating things, uh, you know, the idea of figuring out how to, how to make the bourbon, how to get the bourbon, all the compliance stuff. I mean, I was just, I fell in love from day one. <laughs> how do you okay so how do you go from like you're a bourbon enthusiast you know you love this stuff to going hey like let's start a, let's start our own thing like let's start our own brand like how do you take that step of like actually doing it yeah well if i had known what i know now i, I never would have done it <laughs> it's crazy it's a really complicated business i think there was a level of just being super naive um which i think was was to a benefit of ours i mean we didn't we don't neither one of us has any I didn't, neither one of us had one contact in this industry, like none, like nil. Um, and so there was a level of being a little naive, like, you know, us against the world, like we can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing is, you know, we're, you know, we're both kind of entrepreneurial, uh, have this like kind of entrepreneurial mindset. I had started a, a mattress business with my brother before this. And uh, um, I think, I didn't think there was anything that we, uh, you know, we couldn't do if we just wanted to to do it. I think it's just a matter of figuring out how to navigate the industry. Um, and truthfully, the the thing that we knew most going into it that we knew still knew nothing about, but we just knew it was going to be a roadblock was just the the level of compliance and regulation that you're tasked with, not just at the federal level, but at the state level. Just from a legality standpoint? Exactly. Yeah. Permits. And I mean, I, I don't think I've ever used the term excise tax up until 2019. And so like really getting, getting familiar with uh, how, to quit, how to do it the right way and how to do it in compliance and, and you know, in a, in a proper way was, was with little, you know, we didn't really, we didn't raise money. We did this all bootstrap. We're still bootstrapped to this day and doing a lot of that government paperwork without an attorney has its pros and cons, put it that way. <laughs> I believe it. What is, so when you decided to, you decided to start it up, you got your name, like you're ready to roll. What's, what do you do first? I mean, what's the first thing when you're jumping in that you got to get done before you make this thing start going? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, you know, I think for us, we kind of just looked at it. I mean, we don't, we didn't ever, we've never had a business plan. I mean, I think someone actually asked me that the other day. They're like, Hey, do you have like a business plan? I'd love to see it. I was like, business plan. Like, really? I was like, I don't, I don't, I, I definitely don't want to have one of those. I know that. <laughs> no, no business plan, just a vision. Um, I think we saw that. I mean, I think just looking at the market holistically, we 
you know, I, and maybe because I was having all these mixed emotions of, of having a girl and it was like, you know, it was just a, a long time coming, I guess is a good way to put it, was uh, I just looked at the market and was like, wow, it's a very, from a branding perspective, it's a very masculine driven market, right? I mean, that's, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think that you don't need to have like a, a marketing degree, I think, to just kind of look and just overall the aesthetics of the, the whiskey market is a little bit different than say uh, the rosé or wine market, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that was a good starting out point for us. I said, look, we, if we're going to jump into this, whatever everybody is doing, we need to do the opposite. Um, and we've kind of always looked at that, you know, that's not like an end all be all for us. But I think for us, that was a good way to like, try to try to just differentiate ourselves across the board. And that's from product to branding to messaging, just to how we kind of run the business. I think it's always been, we just kind of constantly look at ourselves uh, differently and do things a little bit differently. And when we first started, it was just, you know, it was a very step-by-step -step kind of process. You know, it was like, you know, Mike was like, we need bourbon. And then we went and found bourbon. We, you know, we talk about how we went to MGP. But then, you know, it's like, okay, we got bourbon. Then it's like, we need labels. We need a bottle. Who do we, you know, what company makes the bottles? And then we need permits. And it was just step-by-step-by-step. Step step. And we just kind of figured it out along the way and, and tried not to get overwhelmed by you know, anything that was 20 steps ahead of us, right? Kind of understand that it's out there, but just kind of chip, chip away at it one by one until finally we had a product in a bottle. And then it was like, okay, let's go, let's go sell it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you, so how, that's right, Danny. How do you go, how do you get to that point where like, okay, we'll get, we'll get into the MGP side of it, but like you, do you have an idea of what kind of a flavor profile that you're trying to create? before you go to MGP or is that like, I mean, how does that process work? Like, do you guys have an idea of what you want and then you go to them and they try to make that happen or what is that like? Yeah, I'd say we went into it. Well, we had an idea of like a product direction based on like looking at the market and be like, how do we kind of fit into this it's a crowded market with a lot of good whiskey out there? That's, that's the long and short of it. I think we wanted to have our hand. So we were going to source, but we wanted to have some, we wanted to give it our spin on it. So we knew we were going to go in and do a blend. Um, we just didn't want to source a particular barrel and then put that in. I think we wanted to have our kind of mark on it. I think we knew that going into it. Um, but, you know, for us, I think it was, uh, we, we really looked at this, what was happening. And, you know, I think for, for our initial offering, you know, and in, in the bourbon community, I know sometimes it's, it's kind of really not, you know, maybe the necessarily the most first choice that they would take, but we kind of looked at it like we wanted to kind of go in and kind of create a competitor to Basil Hayden. Um, it was, it's an expensive 80 proof. I mean, that's kind of how we looked at it as. Uh, I felt like the, the flavor profile of Basil's kind of leans a little bit more spicy on the rye note. Um, and so we felt that, you know, without overcomplicating it, I think we're even articulating it a lot better than we did say back in 2018. But I think we were like, look, let's go in with a sweeter profile. Um, I think we have an opportunity if it's, uh, if these are new bourbon drinkers or they're new to the category or heck, there's just a lot of people that like drinking 80 proof because at the end of the day, it's still 40% alcohol, which is, you know, like triple wine. So we, we kind of just, we felt that that was a good baseline. That was all we really had. Um, just that was finding a, a kind of a, a competitor to benchmark it against and a, and a competing flavor profile, but how we, we didn't know exactly what it would be to, to get to that sweeter profile, but 
we kind of gave MGP that direction and we said, this is kind of what we're, where we're heading and what we're looking for. And then they kind of help craft some of the SKUs that we can look at. Do you guys go as high? You're not as high in the rye as the Basil Hayden's, right? Because they go fairly high. They're 20 something percent. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, it's probably half that truthfully. Um, The big difference for us is we, so our, you know, and what's interesting about all of our products we've released, it's been the same three bourbon mash bill blend for all of them. So we've, uh, we've never deviated from, from our blend from that original meeting, which has been, which is actually kind of cool. Like I felt like we did, you know, we, and I'll kind of back up a little bit, but for us, because we didn't have that, like we didn't have all this experience in the industry, like, I think if we went into that initial meeting, like now, knowing what we kind of know about the industry and blending and some of the challenges with, with working with three different bourbon mash bills, just logistically, uh, you know, we probably would have, it probably would have been a heck multi, it, it would have taken a lot longer. We probably would have overcomplicated, um, really overanalyzed it. Like even now we're always looking at new products and it's constantly, you're like overthinking it to some extent. And with that initial meeting, we just went in there. We're like, do you like it? And Danny's like, yeah, I'm like, I like it too. So if like, I like it, that's a good, that's a good starting off point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that for us was, uh, that's, that's really how we started it. But we, uh, you know, we blended a wheat bourbon, a corn bourbon and a rye bourbon. Hmm. And the corn and wheat are always going to be the predominant, you know, mashes in that blend uh, or the predominant grains in that, in our final mash bill. So yeah, it's always going to have a little bit of a sweeter profile. It's it was, funny. Real, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you know, to add to what Mike was saying about like when we were blending, it was, it was definitely overwhelming to walk into, you know, MGP that day and, and just kind of have this big table full of all different barrel samples, you know, different ages, different mash bills, um, you know, and, and then start sorting through that, you know, and come up with something that day. Or, and, you know, we eventually did it, but, you know, the first, I'd say the first hour we were sitting at that table, I mean, we were like, you know, we, I don't want to say we were lost, but we, we were like a deer. It's in okay. Headlights. You could say deer in headlights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were. I was like, this I got, is crazy. I, yeah. Like, I have to imagine they're putting things in front of you and you're like, well, I like that. No, I like that too. Like, how do we make it? Because I, so I did a review on Basil Hayden's not that long ago and I'm not a Basil Hayden's fan. And my only reason is like, I think it's very, I think they really try to go with that high rye content to cover up like the 80 proof. This is way more complex than a Basil Hayden's with just the rye and like caramel to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I personally, I, I would way, way higher prefer the, the Penelope 80 proof because I, I don't think they even compare. I don't think they're really even close. So That's I think awesome, it's, man. I think it's interesting how you're trying to find that flavor profile and say at the 80 proof, because a lot of people like they don't want to go drinking a Elijah Craig barrel proof at 130, you know, 130 proof. Like you need to have something you can sip on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and also too, we understanding palates evolve over time. And, but what we found, I think like, and it was part of that going into it naive, like, you know, you look at a lot of brands, like there's not many new craft brands that come out with an 80 proof. Almost sure. like it's like, and, and we kind of were cool with it. We were like, look, this is, we want to, we felt that that was, uh, that was a good starting out point. We knew kind of where we wanted to go with it. And, and I'll be honest with you, there's a, there's a, the market for that product is significantly larger than our 
kind of more traditional like barrel strength and the 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 higher ABV skews that we have because we're you know we are going after um, you know we view our competitors as wine and you know the vodka se mm. sectors or rum other spirits not necessarily within the whiskey so that's the kind of that's really the consumers we're trying to attract um, with with that particular product. It, it's interesting how just I, I think about walking into like an MGP and just trying to like put together a flavor profile that you have in mind, you know, like all the different possibilities that you could do to blend these things to, to come up with what you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll be honest, in MGP, they're, they've been a great partner of ours. Uh, they still are just, an, mm -hmm. just been an awesome partner of ours. Um, you know, they helped out a lot. Like we didn't know, like I was like, all right, we kind of have an idea for some, some, some of the, what we're, what our profile is going to be like. But I was like, we, we don't even have like a bottle guy. I don't even have a label guy. So like just asking for introductions was helpful in the early mm -hmm. get go. They kind of helped the guy, oh, you got to call this person or this person or this person. And that's how we navigated that kind of early, uh, that kind of early supply chain, not knowing who to call and more importantly, like who to trust. Like you, you're kind of, you don't have really like really strong relationships with these folks. You just kind of met them. You're just going into business with them. You're not like, you're definitely not their biggest customer. You know that like right out of the gate. And so you, you kind of have to put a little bit of trust uh, that, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of putting you in the right direction. And to this day, almost all of our partners, I'd probably say all of them have been our partners since the beginning. Wow. That's pretty, uh, yeah. pretty fortunate getting in with good people right away. That can, that can help you out push in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, to, it's, I was just thinking about that, like, seriously, like where we get our glass from and, you know, with Jimmy and, and Mike, for a resource label and all these folks. I mean, we've been working on, with them since the beginning. And now we've got like a little, we got like a little squad going. So it's, uh, it's been working out really well. It, it seems like a lot of craft distilleries that are like a lot of the newer companies that are coming out are going with like a four grain mash bill as opposed to a lot that seem like they're going with the three, three grain. Is there a reason for that, do you think? Oh, I, I don't know if, I think everybody's, I think there's just the constant strive for innovation from a flavor perspective, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, even, you know, we're doing that too, just looking at cast finishes and just looking at different things. I mean, that, that's, to me, I think you, it's, it's almost like addicting from, from, from a supplier perspective is uh, just like anything else, even our palates are evolving. Sure. And so I think you're just constantly looking for kind of new and unique flavor. Um, and so whether that's a four grain, I think I've heard some folks doing five and six grain oh, wow. or looking at different variations of, uh, you know, malted barley and caramel malts. And, you know, I think just, it's just a con that's really, to me, just the, the kind of endless kind of effort for, for trying to find a new and great flavor, if I had to guess. Yeah. I think that's dominant in like the whiskey category is just kind of this ever evolving palette of the drinkers you know, kind of searching for new expressions. And it's unlike, say, you know, vodka or gin, where people tend to just kind of get in line with, with their profile, and, you know, and then they taste that for the rest of their lives. But with bourbon, it's just constantly like looking for something different. And, you know, you, you can only blend the corn and the rye and, you know, a little bit of malted barley together. Um, where you're kind of in, in the same realm. So like you start adding in the other grains and it opens up a whole nother door of expressions that you can kind of go down. 
can can they can they provide you with different examples of like I know this was on a num- like a number four char. Can they give you a, a three or a five and taste the difference between those and see if that's something that would blend into what you guys are trying to create? No, you, we've, we've talked about that a lot with them. I mean, I think a lot of that, I mean, there's always the option to do like a custom mash bill. Uh Um, and we're looking at that. We're always looking at that. We're also talking to other distilleries, uh, about different custom mashes and, you know, because this is a, from, from just a logistics perspective, you know, we're, we've got to blend three different bourbons. So there is really no notion of a Penelope bourbon single barrel because we're, you know, and I mean, I remember a lot of retailers be like, yeah, we'd love to do a barrel program. I'm like, I'm going to need three barrels. You know, that's the, that's the caveat, which doesn't really work. Um, so we're kind of like always looking at that. And I think with, with those folks, uh, you know, MGP is a big company and I, I, you know, you can go down that path. It's uh, but it would be in the form of like doing like a custom mash with them and really kind of f- fine tuning some of those details, you know, it could even be also the cooperage and the barrels you're using and things like that. Um, but that's available, but, uh, at our scale, it's, uh, we haven't done that yet. Kind of probably seems unnecessary with the way it's already going. I mean, is there, is there yeah. a need to jump into that? Yeah, no, we're always, but, but that we kind of fall into it too. Well, with like, just to, to give an example, like, so with our four grain, our traditional expression, um, we, we have no, we're not changing that at all. Um, that is a product we have, that's, that's there to stay. As long as it's selling, then we're not, we're not really going to, it's going to be our kind of constant flavor profile, which by the way, actually that's the hardest one to blend because that one, we're not looking for variation. We're actually trying to make that the same batch over batch. And it's uh, it gets a little complicated to do that at, you know, when you're, when you're not doing thousands of barrels per batch. So it's a, it's a little bit tricky, but we, we've done, we've, we've put a lot of effort to it. And, and generally speaking, the flavor profile has always been fairly consistent because with that, you know, we've always felt like consumers purchasing that product. I feel that they kind of want to know what they're getting. Like it's not, there's no kind of, you know, there's not a surprise. Now with the barrel strength, on the other hand, uh, that is a batch, that's a batch product. Um, and while we always want to remain in the same flavor realm, there's, we embrace variation, we embrace change and, 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 you know, some nuance that's going to come with each batch, I guess is a good way to put it. Is there, is the mash bill from the bourbon different from the barrel strength or is that, is it just proof down to 80? They're both the same. Yeah. It's, we same use one. the same mashes. Now the, the barrel strength's a little bit older. So, okay. uh, and that one will continue to get older. Um, so the age statements on barrel strength is, uh, is older. And, and one of the changes we've made in our process that Danny was really kind of, he kind of led this effort, but in the beginning, we would just scoop up barrels and then do barrel strength and 80 proof, which is our kind of internal name for the foreground. We would do those at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we'd run those lines, like we dump all the barrels at barrel strength and then siphon off which one's going down the 80 and which one's going to barrel strength. And we've totally changed that. And it's made a big difference. So now we're purchasing barrels just for, for the four grain or we're, and we're purchasing barrels that are already pre-designated to barrel strength. Mm-hmm. And then for each one of those, we'll go through and sip and sample every single one of those barrels. And, you know, usually we'll pull out five to 10% of them that are maybe off profile or a little bit not ready or they're just not where we want it to be. Could use it for something else perhaps. And, uh, and then they're, they're, it's ready to be 
to, to be dumped and bottled. Hmm. Yeah. Cause our, our batches, you know, when we first, our first couple of batches were very, they were small, you know, we were, we were just starting out and we knew there were going to be issues and, you know, we, we didn't want to dump 50 barrels and be sitting on all this product and have issues with it. You know, the caps don't fit or the corks, or, you know, anything could go wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we dump six barrels, we needed to use those six barrels, all of them, right. Even 15, yeah. but you know, as we've grown, we've been able to purchase more and more barrels. So we have a bigger selection to kind of choose from, which allows us to do what Mike was talking about, you know, sift through each one of them taste them, categorize them, and then use them for specific products. Because at the, at the batches, batch size that we're doing currently, you know, we're still in like that 40, 50 barrel range. You know, one or two barrels that are off profile at that range can, can throw off your whole blend. Perfect. So we still in, we're still in this realm where we have to be careful about every barrel that we put into our batch, you know, and you know, we're going to be in this batch size for probably a long time. Um, so I like I think, this batch size. Yeah. It's well, a good batch size. Because you can really control the quality of, of your blend. What, you know, how, what's that yield out of like 40 to 50 barrels? Um, depends on the, like the 80 proof and the barrel strength differ, but like say uh, like 50 barrels of barrel strength probably yield about 2,000 cases. Mm. So, and that's okay. six packs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're get, you're getting a good amount of bottles out, but again, like that makes sense when you're a massive company that has you know hundreds or thousands of of barrels, you know they're, they're, I can see how one or two barrels that aren't uh, fitting that flavor profile that you want are going to throw that whole thing off. That makes sense. And it's wild. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't believe it until like you know you're sampling through like what a forty barrel blend you know, what this, th these barrels tasted like over these barrels. And it's like, just one barrel can change the way it tastes. So we're constantly just trying to put out the best batch of bourbon that we can with the barrels that we have available at that time. Yeah. It's incredible. And there's no room for error either. Like we don't have, you know, we're not sitting, like we can't really afford to have like an oh shit batch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we really could, can't, I mean, it would, it would put us probably out of business. So it's like, the amount of pressure that we're that we put on these batches, like we would rather overinvest in the product as as just we have to make sure it's like we you know the, the margin for error is really, really thin that we have to make these these as the best they possibly can be, which I think it makes us better, you yeah, know, but it's yeah. also uh got a few gray hairs from it for I'm sure. It definitely, <laughs> I mean the best, yeah, the best day is the day after a batch is done and you're just oh. like, you can, you can breathe and be like, all right, we're good for another couple of months. Like yeah. it tastes good. You know, you're happy with it. Uh, you know, but leading up to that, it's, it, it's pretty stressful. I mean, that, yeah, it's gotta be like, if you're, if you're Jim Beam, you know, and you've got tons of barrels and it's like, all right, well, this is a little off and you can take it another couple hundred barrels and mix it. And like, you're going to end up coming up with that, with that, profile that you're looking for when you're right. when you're dealing with 50 barrels like like you said yeah, they, you want to have that oh shit moment where you're going oh my god like how are we going to fix this yeah yep. they have teams of blenders that are probably you know <laughs> that are going through their warehouses and pulling you know they're working at that for months and they've done it batch over batch over batch that's insane i can only imagine the the stress that causes their uh leading up to that 
how how often uh how, how many trips during the course of the year are you guys taking out to indiana to go try these things out oh man well well more kentucky and oh, like yeah. kentucky indiana area um, oh, okay I, I mean i've i've flown more during covid than i have <laughs> my whole life <laughs> <laughs> it was a busy 2020 couldn't yeah, slow down yeah. danny wore goggles on the airplane <laughs> the whole the whole get up when did, the whole when, get did up. Guys, when did you actually get started then when was your first like your first release well we did a, we had our just penelope in the beginning mm -hmm. um we bottled that i think it was like december 2018 okay and then we were waiting on our permits in new jersey for a while uh, which is where we're based out of and uh and then we got our permits and we started selling it from our car in march 2019 wow. so wow. We we're selling it from our car like just selling it and then hey i got them in my car actually hey you're gonna really? take it here you go sign our quickbooks and we i mean that was uh yeah we probably did that up till september 2019 and then we finally started uh partnering with distributors up till then that's incredible it's like i, I mean i think a lot of the baseball guys that, that kind of pay attention to like baseball or bourbon or whatever like there's all these bat companies that come out, you know, and I always kind of equate it to like the big bat companies, like, okay, good. They're great. They've been around for a long time, but they're putting out tons of baseball bats. Well, you yeah. get these small companies that are putting out, you know, a couple hundred bats and they're particular about where they're going. You know that you're going to get a higher quality because there's a personal care factor that goes into it. That makes it a little bit, uh, a little more special, a little bit more personal. I think that's, that makes a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's a good, that's a good point. And by the way, we did go to the, we did take a tour of the Louisville uh, Slugger Museum. Oh yeah. It was pretty cool. We had a little couple cool place. minute downtime. We were swung through there. I got my dad over there. It's pretty nice. awesome actually. We literally Although I couldn't fly hour. with him on an airplane. So I had to, uh, I guess you're not allowed to carry on a wooden bat onto an airplane. So I had to have them send it to me. They're like, are you flying? I'm like, yeah, I'm flying back to Newark. They're like, you can't bring a bat on a plane. I go, no way. Like I had no idea. Um, but uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, just like any product. I mean, if you're, you're, it's the, you know, if, if it's small batch versus large batch, I yeah. guess is a good way to put it. I, it was, um, it's interesting because I would ask, you know, beforehand about, about distilling your own product. And again, New Jersey, I'd have to imagine is a tough place to distill whiskey given, you know, the climate or lack there. Well, I guess there's a good climate change, but um, if you were to move, a distilling operation into um, New Jersey. Is that something that's possible or is that a, is, is that a huge undertaking that just, that makes it impossible to do, or are you in a better situation continuing to source through MGP? Yeah. Like I actually think we kind of have a great partnership. I mean, it really would come down to, I wouldn't have a problem. I mean, and like everything else, you kind of like, Oh, I would love to just try something on our own. And, but a, it's a huge investment which, mm -hmm. which isn't in the cards. Like we did one of the big steps we did take was uh, you're, I mean, you're probably familiar with Roselle, um, mm -hmm. right, right in Union County. So we had uh, our warehouse. So what we had in Roselle was a warehouse. Uh, it's where we bring all of our finished goods. And up, uh, you know, up till recently, we had partnered with Castle and Key in Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a few other uh, bottling partners, but really Castle and Key was our primary partner. They've been awesome. And it's just been a great partnership where we could do uh, real hands-on with our blending and bottling there. And, and then once we would finish um, bottling everything, we would then transport it back to our warehouse in, in New Jersey. And it just turned out that that warehouse happened to be an old 1970s alcohol chemical factory. 
Go for, like I ate like craziest thing in the world. So this place was fully retrofitted for distilling. And I think it was not even distilling, but just like messing around with like really dangerous, toxic, alcoholic, like chemicals. Yeah. Um, and so we, during COVID, we said, uh, you know, we're not ready to even say we're, we're distilling, but one of the things that we wanted to bring in house and in part because of R and D was we could probably retrofit this. So we still have our warehouse, but on the other side, it's going to be, you know, what's going to be work that we'll have to do. Like cleaning it out was a big thing, but we actually did get our distilled spirits plant permit. So oh, wow. it's a DSP, New Jersey. Um, Danny literally built the bottling line himself and we have a small batch blending and bottling line for what our, we have a product called the private select, mm -hmm. which is uh, kind of our version of a, a barrel program, a little bit different, but you know, it, that's our first foray into really taking kind of full reins over some part of our supply chain, which we're excited about. Tell me, okay, so let's, let's talk about your line a little bit. Like you just, you just mentioned the private select. So tell me a little bit about that. Like your, how, how does that program work? Yeah. Danny, you want to take that one? I feel like I'm, <laughs> I was like, I, I don't want, I'm, I'm talking a lot, Danny. I figured uh, if you want you're to on a roll. On that one. <laughs> What's that? I said, you're on a roll. I was flying, man. Feel well, like, yeah. Well, pri yeah, private select, like he was saying, was like the drive behind our, our bottling line, basically that and like R&D. But um, private select is a product or that we're, we're offering where people can um, basically, we're selecting these, these special barrels for private select. And it's basically a blend um, that we're working with customers to make. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like a unique way of blending our barrel strength. Uh, most of them are at barrel strength. We have one of them that is at 95 proof for, a re um, for like um, on-premise, like a restaurant group in New Jersey. But yeah, for the most part, we're just, you know, finding these great barrels and then kind of putting them aside and saying, these are for private select and we're going to blend these at, at like very small scale, you know, the, in different ways, working with our retailers and our customers and, and these uh, whiskey groups to kind of make these unique like batches of, of Penelope bourbon. You know, they still use the three mash bills that we use in all our other, all our other products, but you know, they're just different barrels. And remember I was saying like some, sometimes when we're doing the big batches, there's some barrels that are off profile. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because the barrels off profile, it doesn't mean it's in a bad way. It could be in a very good way. And it, and it could be like a, a very, um, you know, very great expression, but it would just throw off the, the regular blend. So we put it to the side and it's like, we can use these for private select. They're delicious on their own, you know, and they can be blended in different ways. And it's just, it's kind of like a passion project and something that we wanted to bring close to us. So that's why we're going to do a lot of them in New Jersey. That's really cool. Because I think when you, like when we're talking about the barrels and it's like when you think about something that's, you know, off profile, almost thinking like for me i was thinking in a negative way but i guess that makes mm -hmm. sense where it's something that could be really positive that sells really well on its own yeah yeah absolutely. it could just be a wheat barrel that's like has a it's off profile for our barrel strength blend which mm -hmm. is where we're so we yeah that's a that's a good that's actually a really good point but it it could be like extra sweet mm -hmm. and so maybe we look at that and we're like well that would go really well maybe with like a high wheat blend within our private select Okay. Um, and then we're complementing it with, and these are generally, um, they're just unique barrels. Uh, you know, we do get barrels that are not great. 
And you know, those are, those are ones we use a lot of the, the ones that maybe they have to get the red, uh, resin profile to them. And, and we actually, that's where we're doing most of the R and D. So we have a lot of cast finishes too. So private select is one area, but then, you know, we test a lot of different flavor profiles in like 55 to hundred liter casts that are, okay. you know, some of them are Olorosa Sherry. Some of them are PX cognac um, off profile are, are written, not necessarily off profile, but, but barrels that are just really not going to fit in any mm -hmm. flavor profile across any product. What we'll do is uh, yeah, we usually run R and D on them. Nice. Yeah, that, that's there's that's a, actually been helpful to have that in-house. Oh, I bet. That's yeah. Are those, are most of those sold to individuals or groups or will people buy an entire barrel or how does that work? We don't even know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we don't. I mean, we'll figure it out. It's a good time we'll to see. figure it out, Danny. We should, we, well, we've had a lot of people ask for it. So what we've been doing is, um, you know, we really don't know. And right now, like we just, even yesterday, I, I, I had, we had a, where we had a paint, we're painting one last section of the warehouse before we actually really uh, get into the private selects. And, uh, you know, we, we were transferring, we had um, at 55 liters of Olorosa. That's been, that's been being aged at barrel strength for, I think it was about three months. Yeah. Uh, and then we just transferred it over to a cognac barrel. Oh, wow. That's 55 liters. It's not a, you yeah. know, it's still a decent amount. I mean, we haven't really, we don't, we're not going to like, we're not like, if it's good, we're not going to, we'll, we'll probably, when it's ready, we'll probably bottle it and just keep it unmarked until we know what to do with it. Um, Cause we've had folks, what we'll do is virtual tastings and we, we like to test it out, see what people think of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, we do know that that Olorosa cognac has been really popular. Um, and just by giving out like small little two ounce samples of it mm -hmm. um, from the last version we did a couple months ago. So um, it's been helpful just to hear what people think of it. I bet. Yeah, because so, wine, the wine cast finishing is a little tricky. That's been so that's been that's tricky to to navigate. Is that it's, the rosé? Exactly. Um, yep. And kind of, I feel bad. We've been like deviating. Our product line is uh, pretty. Right now, we have four skews. So mm -hmm. we have our four grain expression. That's kind of the white label gold P. Then we have our barrel strength, which is the etched glass. That's kind of the red uh, label at the bottom, and. Um, that we right now, the current one, that one right there. So we're on batch five of barrel strength and we just sold through that batch. Um, and so we're bottling uh, batch six on March 11th. Oh, wow. So that uh, should be, you know, it should technically be ready for pickup from, a dis from our distributors the week of the 15th. Remember we were bearing, talking about that stressful, no major issues. that stressful period right before a batch is done. Yeah, that's where we're like- Yeah, in we're in it. We're, we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're in the thick of it <laughs> and it's really complicated right now. It's actually been a little bit crazier this go around. Um, well, I'm glad we're able to sit down right in the middle of your, uh, your stressful time of the year. <laughs> to be honest with you, it actually is helpful just to like, yeah, step back from everything for a sec. I mean, this is, this is awesome now, but you know, so we had those two skews and then we kind of, um, you know, my wife always loved Rose and she was like, Hey, why not a Rose finish? And we were kind of like, huh? Interesting. So we, we embarked on this crazy journey. I mean, I, didn't, I don't drink really rosé. I don't really know much about it. I had no idea that rosé doesn't really even get finished or aged in casks. It's usually in stainless steel. I had no idea, which made it even more tricky to figure out. But we found, uh, you know, through the help of a third-party space side, we did find rosé casks, um, you know, and we ended up getting, getting a bunch of them the first go-around. And uh, we did a, we took our traditional four grain blend 
And uh, we actually dumped it into those casts. Um, we ref you know, finished it into the cast at a hundred proof. And it's just a, it was a light, subtle, and it, we ended up doing it at 94 proof, which was kind of like right in that middle area. And the feedback was really positive. I mean, we sold through that. I mean, it was sold out the day that it arrived wow. um, to our warehouse. It was in and out. And we, we kind of went a little conservative because at the time when we had to make decisions on, on how much bourbon to purchase and actually go through the process, like it was like right at the start of COVID, like in March, I was like, yeah. I don't even know if I'm going to be in business in September. Like sure. there was so much unknown. We were like, so there was just a lot of panic. And we said, I, we didn't want, we were just being cautious of the money and cash flow. So we ended up uh, do, filling up the barrels halfway. And, it, and I think that was a good move just to figure out how we do do it. And then, so we released that in uh, October. What's the, what's the rose barrel that, or a bottle that? Uh, 94, 94 proof. 94. I mean, I, so when, I have to imagine, go ahead, sorry, Danny. I was going to say, when we, you know, after it finished in the rosé cast for a couple months, we, it came out of there at like 99.8 proof. Um, and then we tried it all the way from 99 to 90 proof, you know, at, for, at every proof. And 94 it just kind of resonated. And uh, actually a lot of that like strawberry kind of profile came out at that 94 proof. I, I would. I don't think. I don't even know if I've ever had rosé, so I don't even. I can't really put that together. Um, that it's had to be a, a little. Like such a subtle, you know. It's not like an overpowering wine finish. It's like yeah. it's so subtle, and it just like the good parts of it come out. You know, it's yeah. not like an acidic finish. It's just very. It's dry. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does it give a uh, a shorter finish on the on the end of the bourbon? I think it keeps it going. It makes it longer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, I think it's more similar. It's, it's actually right dead smack in the middle between our, our 80 proof and our barrel strength. But um, what, what was, what I found to be the most interesting is the feedback we got on that product from like the bourbon community mm -hmm. was really, really positive. Um, at least, you know, I mean, I'm sure folks, there's folks that probably didn't like it, but the stuff that I just was reading and seeing online was, was all really, really positive. Um, I think part of the reason was it's, you know, sometimes you'll have a wine cast finish and it really overpowers yeah. the bourbon. Like yeah, you feel like you're drinking like a dessert wine. At yeah, some, some, some of those like port or sherry finishes get, they get a lot like um, almost, too, it, it does, it overpowers the bourbon for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think and a nice, something like more subtle would be really cool. So the, yeah, and this was this, you're still getting some of that, but I mean, it was this, at the end of the day, we wanted this to be a great bourbon with mm -hmm. just some subtle nuanced flavor. And I think it was kind of cool. Like it, it, it was able to pick, pick it up pretty good. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a wild one. Cause that was our first foray. But I mean, we now have a good idea. Like still so for batch two, we just started the process. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what I'm excited about for this one is those rosé casts, by the time that bourbon actually went into them, they were, they were dumped almost eight months prior, which means they're getting a little dry by that point. Sure. The barrels we got, so we were kind of ahead of it this time. We were able to get the barrels. I think we got them the first week of January because in France, they're getting ready for rosé season. So they're dumping mm. these things for the spring and summer. Sure. And so, you know, it'll probably be only 50 days by between the time the rosé was dumped and bourbon is going in them. So wow. I'm kind of interested to see what happens. I mean, that, 
I mean, I hope it comes out good, yeah. but that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, a, like not a blind spot, just something we have no idea. So we're going to have yeah. to keep tabs on it. Cause that could, um, that could mean it's ready sooner or, you know, who knows? I mean, that, that's just something we'll have to account for, but I um, suspect what it's going to do is it's going to amplify some of the strawberry notes that we got in the original one. For sure. I, I looked up a couple of reviews. I saw some people talking about it on YouTube and, and the, overwhelming i mean amount of people talking about the how positive those reviews were was awesome i mean it sounds like everybody was really enjoying it and they said the same thing it was a strawberry that everybody seemed to really like yeah so and it was I'm a calling, subtle strawberry i'm, I'm looking calling, at only my last two bottles are right behind me oh wow I don't even think I have put it one. this way we and so if i open this i was kind of saying do i i just for keepsake for the i was like shouldn't i yeah. keep but i guess i got two I'll, when i crack this i'll, I'll send you a sample of it okay all right. We were, calling, uh, we were calling dibs so, on batch two, by the way. Well, we'll definitely for sure. That one, that one, without a doubt, we'll have plenty of it. But um, what was funny was, uh, yeah, we really were, this was also one of the first instances where we had no idea how to manage inventory. <laughs> like yeah. we, cause we did sell through it quickly. And all of a sudden like, Whoa, we, people like didn't believe us. They're like, Hey, but like folks that we would normally maybe send a, a sample bottle to, to review, yeah. like we didn't have any. Like none, we had to buy. So we had to actually buy three cases back from our distributor in New Jersey. I think they said that might've been the first time any suppliers ever done that. (laughs) (laughs) I go, I don't know, but I need them. What do you want me to do? And then we burned through those. So like the two that I had here were from there. And then we have a retailer in New Jersey that um, had bought a bunch. And he, we, I, I even up up till like two weeks ago, we needed a couple more. And uh, we, we just because I shouldn't have maybe said that, but yeah, all right, we're gonna ref, we're gonna really refine how we handle inventory going yeah. forward as well, because that would be nice not to have to do that again. <laughs> Buying back, <laughs> I, I haven't Buying had a, I haven't had a sip of it in probably two months because it's like so precious. <laughs> yeah, we need to plan better. Yeah, that's awesome. Though. That's a that's a oh. good problem to have. People, too many people like your bourbon. That's a good thing. Yeah, I guess. So, man. All right, so let's let's go through like kind of some uh, like tasting notes or what what can people expect though? We'll go through this one and then the barrel strength. Yeah, I just I just finished my glass of this and then and I'm ready to move on to that barrel strength. But nice. Yeah. Talk about this one here, the the bourbon. Yeah, I mean for the bourbon, I mean it's uh you know this one is going to be a, a a smoother. It's going to be like just a smooth drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, it's, but what I love about it is you, is you're going to get, it, it's a more subtle kind of flavor profile. So, you know, it's funny, I get a lot of like Irish whiskey drinkers that like that. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get overpowering notes of, uh, butterscotch and like real rich caramel, but mm-hmm. you're going to get those notes, but a lot more subtle. And I think that's kind of how I've always, uh, have, I've always kind of picked up on the notes, but for, for really it's, you know, I get floral on the nose. So when I, when I, from an aroma perspective, I'm picking up uh, the wheat and corn in the form of like floral and sweet. Uh, and then that kind of almost that aroma kind of goes into the forward notes, into the body um, and into the finish. So for me, that's always been a sweeter bourbon from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little candied sweetness here, but that, that's kind of been my kind of take on it. Danny, I don't know what you got. Yeah, One word for that one is like house party, like. it's a crowd pleaser like it casts a big net like mike said like sometimes you get scotch drinkers that that love it um irish whiskey drinkers um you know people that are heavy into bourbon or high you know rise because it's got a little note of rye in there Mm -hmm. um 
And then you get people that you know, want to mix it. They So if you're at a party or something, not that there's probably a lot going on right now, but you know, a lot of people will drink it. And I've seen, you know, people text me the next day and it's just like bottle kill, you know? <laughs> it's a <laughs> like, good point. It man, is a house party a, favorite. Yeah, this was a crowd pleaser. It's good. I mean, I really liked it. It's funny because like, I'm not a proof snob, so I don't want it to come across like that. Cause I know a lot of people are, you know, we want to show off the proof right now. Cause it, you you have to have something that you can sit down and sip on. You know, you don't always have to have 110 proof bourbon to be drinking. And I, I definitely got different flavors out of that. I thought it was really nice. Like, like you said, you compared to Basil Hayden's and it, to me, that's caramel and spice and like, that's it. And, and for me, it's, it doesn't, like it's an 80 proof, like whatever. This to me gave way more flavors. It was definitely like if somebody's interested in bourbon or getting into bourbon, it gives more of a like different flavors that you can pick out and not just, okay, here's caramel that you're going to get from, from bourbons, you know, or here's oak or whatever it might be. Like there, there's some different flavors that I really liked about that. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we were, we were always thinking about maybe do we increase the proof on it a little bit? Um, and maybe we will. Maybe we might tweak it down the line. I don't think we'll ever change the mash bills, but you know, we're always thinking about uh, we're always thinking about it. But for now, it's we feel like it's in a good spot. It mm -hmm. allows us to focus on like you know the private selects that we have coming up, the rosé, you know, batch two and barrel strength. But I I suspect we'll probably tinker with it at some point later this year. Yeah, um, always sense. just trying to make it better at some point. Um, I don't think we're finished with that product yet. Is a good way, is a good way to put it. Yeah. Nice. Um, now, how about the barrel proof? Let's uh, let's dig into that one a little bit because this is the one I just poured right now. So I'm really curious oh, about nice. barrel proof. Well, so that one now that's interesting. So with the with the four grain, same mash bills. Mm -hmm. um, the with our four grain, we're not. I don't really. So what's interesting about that is that's got a high. So we're using a lot of uh, rye bourbon in both of them, mm -hmm. right? So, but the rye bourbon in the four grain is is it's almost like the balancing grain where you don't really pick up spicy, a spicy rye kind of note mm. or, or that kind of peppery note. Uh, but well, when you take it out, it actually, the whole blend collapses. So yeah. that is more of like a, the rye in the four grade is more foundational. Now the rye in the barrel strength, I, to me, that comes out in the finish. So I'm really getting that kind of peppery kind of like a real kind of, I'm getting that little bit of that spice, that cayenne pepper mm -hmm. on the finish. Um, and it kind of goes from floral. To me, this is more of a roller coaster flavor yeah. uh, where I'm getting more of the four grains from the increased ABV. I definitely get that rye at the end for sure. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like that rye at the end. It kind of sticks around a little bit. Just hangs out right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a 116 proof. I mean, it's starting to get up there, but it doesn't, it doesn't come across like it doesn't have that heat of some of those higher proofs. You know, some of them just taste like gasoline and that this one doesn't come across like that at all yeah it drinks yeah. like a hundred yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, I can see this one uh, uh sneaking up on you a little bit yeah. if you're not careful <laughs> no it definitely does from personal experience I believe uh, but the uh <laughs> the first batch of barrel strength i tell you man it was stiflingly hot yeah and uh you know blending barrel strength we you know what we came to realize was there's more to it, you know, when you're actually blending, uh, you know, we're younger, it's three to four years old. So mm -hmm. it's younger juice. It's not nine years old, 10 years old. So um, it was just a little bit of a challenge that we had to sift through because 
yeah, there's, there's, you run the risk. It's going to be like stiflingly hot. So um, we kind of, over the last five batches, we really refined our process where we can kind of throttle that and make it, uh, make it work for how we're, how we're doing it. That's awesome. I think it's, uh, it's a nice mix. I mean, you having, having that 80 proof and then having the 116, I mean, it really is, that's, that's a really nice, uh, nice offering uh, differential, you know, something that's more entry level, something that's the higher proof, you know, and then you've got the finished one in the middle. I think that's a, that's a nice, uh, nice set of offerings that you guys have. It's really cool. Yeah. Thank you, man. What, what else? It. Is there anything else in the, in the future that you're looking at in terms of any, uh, any finishes or anything different that you're looking to hopefully release? Hmm. I don't want to put that, any that, more that you can plate. share that you can share. Sorry. Yeah, no, we, we look, we look, we're pretty much an open book. Um, well, we're thinking a lot about cast finishes, to be honest with you. I mean, we're doing so mm-hmm. many of these experiments. We're kind of trying to figure out what would be, what would work for us. That's, that's on brand. We're not in a huge rush. The, yeah. uh, the private select has been a, it's, it's a, it's a, a really, you know, it's a lot of work cause it's, it's very, very okay. small batch, um, you know, doing it in house. So we've been pretty, pretty kind of tied up with, uh, just trying to figure out how we're going to execute that at a little bit of a greater scale has been a, where a lot of our time has been spent. Um, you know, we're doing the rosé batch two, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is a big thing. But we are, you know, I think we're looking closely at uh, another limited release in the fall and winter. Um, we don't really know. I'll be honest with you. That was part of why we, Danny and I, we were going to go live uh, tomorrow. With We're going to go live. We we're going to go live with Side and talk about it. Uh, nice. Like, we don't have an answer for it, but we are looking at Olorosa Cognac, double, fin- double cast finish. Um, we're looking at, uh, uh, cognac. We're looking at PX, some of the more traditional ones. Uh, we're, we're definitely kind of eyeing up, but we haven't made up our mind. We, we don't yeah. know yet. It seems like it's, uh, there's endless, endless amounts of things that you could do. If you, uh, a lot of, a lot of rabbit holes you could go down, I bet. There, really there's are. so many. That's yeah. And, and also thinking about what's next, like where, where is the palette evolving to? Like, I keep thinking about malts. Um, and things of that nature, like we're, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of stuff, but you know, we're still young. And I think for us, it's yeah. really just about continually ensuring, like, we guys got to make sure we put out a great product for batch six. Sure. Um, that's probably our biggest priority right now is making sure this product comes out the best that could possibly come out. Yeah. So, okay. Last, almost last thing. What was, <laughs> uh, what was your go-to, what was your, not to promote, you know, anybody, but what was your go-to yeah. whiskey? before i mean if you guys were into bourbon um you know wanted to into it enough to where you wanted to take it to the next level and start your own brand what was your go-to what do you uh what were you into before danny you want to go first <laughs> why are you always punch it to me first because <laughs> i did the last two questions first uh i don't know uh, well i mean I was kind of all over the place. Like I didn't really have like that one bottle that you just kind of drank, you know, but I also didn't drink a lot of anything over 40, $50, you know, yeah. like there was, there was just a lot of stuff to explore in that under $50 range. So mm-hmm. you know, I was still going through like the, you know, the Buffalo traces and the Woodford double Oaks and the, you know, like just kind of exploring through all those, brands you know a lot of them that now you can't even get right sure. like <laughs> so and then the whole penelope thing you know then we jumped into this and it was just like my collection just 
dwindled after that for a while. <laughs> yeah, wife don't let us buy any bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. That's, we're not allowed to. We've been we've been told that at least. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was your What was your go to, Mike? I'm kind of with Danny. I mean, it was rare that I'd spend more. You know, I I always you know I liked Eagle Rare. I I love Buffalo Trace. Um, mm. I didn't really. We didn't really spend. We never really spent. Uh, I never really spend more than fifty, sixty dollars. I always had my like. Yeah. I'm talking about my everyday. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, there might be a special occasion during like the holidays or something like that, but. Yeah, like I'll be honest, like I mean, this is going back now 2016, 2017, which seems like an eternity ago. But at the time, you know, I could get Eagle Rare for like 32.99, 33.99 and it was just like regularly available. So that was usually my go-to. Um but you know, even now like I I've, I've been real into and I'm not just saying this cuz MGP bought them, but I you know, this Ezra Brooks, they yeah. they the Lux Row line is something I've always liked. They've got mm -hmm. great product, it's good pricing. Um, so those have kind of been, you know, where I, I've kind of leaned towards for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good ones out there. I mean, it's interesting cause I think a lot of, you know, everything Buffalo trace is just becoming harder and harder to come across. And I think that's becoming frustrating for people. And then they end up, end up buying these, uh, these bottles on secondary that are insane. I mean, I found, it's crazy. well, I found Weller special reserve at Walmart this morning. Oh, and get out of here. And I saw it on Drizzly for $110 and I paid like 28 for it. I'm going, man, you guys yeah. are buying that for 110 bucks? Like, Dude, that's a good find, man. It's a great find, but Walmart, <laughs> I mean, I got Walmart stocking up over there. I got Weller 12 <laughs> over there, you know, but it's yeah. just, it, but it's nuts though. Like what people will do for bottles that they feel are, you know, allocated or special or important or, or whatnot. And, and they don't really take the time, I think, to branch out and, and realize that there's some other really good ones out there, especially some of the craft distilleries that are coming out that, that put that personal touch on it. That I think is really awesome. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, by the way, I, did, I just remember, you know, one of the things that we also are looking at, we didn't touch upon. We are, we brought, talked about chars and toasts, but mm -hmm. we, uh, we have a bunch of experimental new Oak at our facility in New Jersey um, for four fifty-three gallon barrels. We are looking at what it's like when we rebarrel our blend into you know, a one char with a medium toast, hmm. uh, a one char with a heavy, you know, heavy toast and two char and medium toast. So we're actually looking at all that to see how that mm -hmm. complements it. Um, I don't know if we're going to do anything with it or not, but just more kind of curious to see how that will, how that will play off. And those barrels were, um, if assuming they're going to be delicious, we got to figure we'll figure out something to do with them because those are 53 gallons. Those like more of like a double oak type of a, of a profile. Those exactly. are pretty popular right now. Very popular. Yeah, I even saw Basil's just put out a new, their, their new toasted. Oh, really? Barrel. Yeah, they just put out, a, I saw it like a day or two ago or something like that. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm kind of yeah, curious that, about that, see what happens with the flavor with that. Yeah, that, that's got to be fun, man. Like mix and match and try it out and see what you like, what you don't like. I mean, what a, what a, cool, uh, what a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, it, assuming see. it tastes good. Yeah. And I'm true. like, well, what do I do with this? Yeah. Um, all right. Almost the last thing. Baseball, Yankees guys. That's right. It's, uh, I feel like we've got, a, <laughs> I feel like we've got a, a thing here because I think there's uh there's a good chance we may see each other sometime later on this year, given uh, how the two teams stack up. How are you, how are you feeling about chances this year and, and the things that have gone on? Well, since we've been in the business, my my only thing I know is we signed we signed DJ LeMahieu, and I was very happy about that. 
Mm-hmm. It's a big signing, man. That guy's a, he's yeah. a machine. It's a good player. And I think we got a pretty good deal. For, I mean, not, a, I mean, he's still making an absorbent amount of money, but wasn't this, wasn't the contract, wasn't it fairly like, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like an A-Rod for 10 years. Was yeah. it, how, what, was it big the, contract? No, I mean, it was, I mean, it's, I, I would take it, but I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't getting 40 million a year. Like, uh, like Bauer's getting over here yeah, with that's us. Right. Mm-hmm. I would take that. So too. I, I thought it was a great signing. I think that showed that he wanted to come back to New York. Yeah. I think you got DJ. I mean, if he continues to play, he is just a machine, man. He's always on base. Yeah. You know, you get the Yankee fans. Everyone thinks that they're the, they know what they're talking about. I mean, I, I actually, yeah. I, I love the Yankees. We've always liked them. And, uh, my dad actually is a Dodger fan, to be honest with you. He's from Brooklyn. Smart man. That's, yeah, he hey, loves the Dodgers. Still got his Dodger hat. Danny, you're a, you're a Yankee guy too? Yeah. Okay. I, I will say, like, one of my favorite things to do, and I shouldn't do it, but I, but I do, is, like, after Dodger games, is go on Dodger social media and, and, like, look at what people say and just the asinine comments that are made. It's like, I think we, like we lost like opening day last year and people are going just absolutely nuts. And I'm going, you know, we're, we're 0-1 and there's, there's a lot more games left this year. So like, let's, let's pump the brakes. I think we'll be okay. Pretty good. But man, I, I can only imagine in New York, some of those, uh, that, that fan base could probably get a little rowdy when, when things aren't going so well. <laughs> yeah. LA is just as crazy. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I and how did it. you get it? What, what position did you play, uh, growing up and through your whole career i was a catcher i was a catcher oh, nice. and then caught caught in dh a little bit in college and uh i didn't get a chance to play past college except for a couple of weeks of uh independent ball and i got into coaching right away so it was kind of random that i actually got with the dodgers so it's been a very nice experience so far yeah no that's really cool awesome. man that's awesome yeah that's, good, good, uh, good group of people i'm sure right well that's, listen where, where awesome. can where can people find either you guys or Penelope bourbon on social media, uh, kind of give you guys a follow and, and just kind of keep after what you guys are doing over there. No, and we appreciate the time and everything. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, our website's Penelope bourbon.com. Uh, Instagram is kind of like our kind of go-to social at Penelope bourbon. Um, but now we're pushing YouTube. We only have 20 subscribers on YouTube. We're going to be doing our live stream there and, uh, Really, we're calling it the boardroom, and we're just going to be talking about. We're going to try to make real decisions, nice. um, and so check us out on YouTube as well. And uh, you know, we love we love doing this. We're definitely in a. We'd love to do it again with you if you'd have us yeah. on. Absolutely, I'd love once if that rosé makes its way out here. We're go, we're going coming back on, and we're going to talk about it. Heck yeah, that stuff looks Heck awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Danny, Mike, really appreciate you guys' time today. It was great talking with you and uh, learn a little bit about Penelope and hopefully some people can learn a little bit and, uh, and make some orders. It'd be great to expand a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you having for having us. us. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks, guys.